Now, this past week, Reith Witherspoon and Jim Tother, husband, have been in the news. It happened last Friday, a week ago Friday. They were in Atlanta, and they were pulled over at about 3.30 in the morning. And Jim was given a DUI. And Reese must have been drinking something <laughs> because... She demanded to get out of the car when the police officer told her not to because she wanted to stand on U.S. soil because she was a U.S. citizen. And she said, "Uh, you know my name. You're going to find out my name in the midst of uh, that conversation that she had with them. Now, obviously she's apologized uh, since then and There's some question whether she'll have her reign as America's sweetheart (laughs) as uh, brightly uh, shining in the uh, the future. But before we judge her too quickly, we need to look at our own hearts and ask ourselves a question. How often have we asked a question like that? Do you know who I am? Have you ever said that to someone, (laughs) more likely you've thought it to yourself. Do you know who I am? Maybe it's with your boss, and your boss is giving you heat and giving you pressure and maybe critical, and you feel like saying, do you know who I am? Do you know that I'm your most valued employee? Do you realize how much money I saved this company last year? Do you know all the things that I do that... You don't know about? Do you know who I am? (laughs) Maybe it's with your your spouse. Do you know who I am when they're giving you a hard time? Do you know that I was the only person who would have married you? The only person. The only person on the horizon. Far, far, far on the horizon. Nobody else was there. And I'm the only person who would have stayed married to you. Do you know who I am? Maybe with your kids. And they're causing you all kinds of pain. And you want to say, do you know who I am? Especially you moms. Do you know I carried you for nine months and I was sick as a dog? Do you know the labor that I went through for you? Do you know how I fed you? How I sheltered you? How I wiped your butt? Do you know, I am your mother? (laughs) Or sometimes I I struggle and sin with customer service. Uh, Because you see, I I am a customer. And and for some reason I still believe that's important. And, And because it's kind of anonymous, you know, I'm on the phone, I sometimes lose my sanctification. And, you know, and I, you know, I, I get upset and I, uh, I'm not kind sometimes with customer service uh, because I'm the customer. And I feel like saying, do you know who I am? I am the customer. The customer is always right. You always are kind to the customer. I have to repent. Uh, yeah, we ask that question a lot. Usually not. We don't state that. (laughs) 
But we're thinking it inside. Do you know who I am? And friends, it's all about pride. It's all about our rights. It's all about, hey, you should treat me this way because I am important. Of course, if we look in the Scripture, we see what God has to say about that. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Now, usually it's the opposite, right? We're trying to exalt ourselves, so God has to humble us. Now, if we just get it straight and humble ourselves, He wouldn't have to do that. He would just be exalting us. But no, we, we again, exalt ourselves. We, we feel that other people need to know who we are, uh, what our rights are, especially our rights. Right? We're all, always holding on to our rights. This is the way that we should be treated. This is the way uh, that other people should respond uh, to us. We're trying to position ourselves in a lot of different manipulative ways uh, to get what we want so people will treat us and do things for us the way they should because we have self-exalted ourselves. And, uh, and God is saying, no, you got it all wrong. That's not the way that it works. You need to humble yourself. You need to realize that you're my child and I'm going to take care of you and you need to submit to the things that I tell you to do. And you need to, again, let go of your rights and let me take care of you. You need to have me let me have those difficult relationships where you're not being treated properly. And, and let me enter into those things. And you need to pray and you need to depend upon me and stop manipulating things and, and stop trying to get your way all the time. You need to humble yourselves. And when you humble yourselves in due time, I'm going to exalt you. Well, we're going to dig into this this morning as we continue in our study of the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the people at Philippi. This is our fourth message in this wonderful book. We'll be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles. I encourage you to bring your Bibles as we study God's Word uh, together. And uh, we're going to take a little bit of the context. Take a look at the context first of what we studied last week to understand why this passage that we're studying today is so important. Paul writes in verse one of chapter two. So, if there is any encouragement, remember we talked about that word. If in the original language is because, because there is any encouragement. In Christ, so he's saying, if, if you've experienced any encouragement, and of course you have, then you, you should act in a certain way. So, encouragement in Christ, any comfort from Christ's love, any moves of the Holy Spirit, any fellowship in the Spirit. Have you felt the Spirit's power and all the things that He does in your life? Any affection and sympathy from the Spirit, any love you sense from Him and comfort. Uh, so he lists those four different reasons. And then he says, complete my joy. Satisfy me by being the same mind, be, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What he's saying here is I want you to be unified. He mentions it in chapter 1 as well. 
I want you to be unified as a church. I want you to have the same mind, the same attitude. I want you to have a, a deep love for one another. I want you to be in agreement about the mission that you're, you're working towards. Because as we talked about last week, there's one thing that Satan wants to do uh, to any gospel preaching church is he wants to create division. He wants us to exalt ourselves individually because when you're exalting yourself individually, uh, you're going to become angry because people are not treating you the way that you want to be treated, and you're going to run into anger, jealousy, envy, strife, hatred, you name it. And that's what Satan wants to do here in our church or any other church that's teaching the gospel is to, to tear us apart. And he's saying, you need to remain unified. And the key to that is humility. Humility goes on in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition, the opposite of humility, or conceit. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There we see the humility mapped out. It's all about other people. It's all about serving others. And we, we look at this passage and we said, wow, how in the world do you do that? Because we're not wired that way. Well, as we talk about so often, it, it's a supernatural deal. It's only through the power of the Spirit of depending daily on the Spirit of God. Oh, oh Spirit, fill me, uh, guide me, empower me in order that I might live humbly and not be grabbing onto my rights all the time and, and running into conflicts with other people because of my pride. It's only through the power of God that this can happen. Now, we move on to our passage today, uh, a beautiful passage, a rich passage that speaks about Jesus Christ's example of humbling himself and then God exalting him. So Philippians 2.5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he said we should have the mind of Christ, the mind of humility. And he says, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You can have this mind. You, you have the potential to live this way because you live in Jesus Christ, and Christ lives in you. And then it goes on to, to give this beautiful really him. Scholars believe this is a hymn that the early church sung, just as we sang those beautiful worship songs. They had probably a much different style of worship back in that day. But again, they sung this hymn. So let me just, I'm not going to sing it to you, but I'm going to read it to you. Uh, Who, though he was born in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Uh, excuse me. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Christ every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, 
This is one of the richest, most treasured theological passages in Scripture that describes the incarnation of Jesus Christ. How He became one of us in order that we might be united with the Father. So let's study this together. We look then again at verse 6. Who, though He was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being made in the likeness of men. And then we go on to uh, yeah, those three things. So let's look at the word form. Who, though he was in the form of God, and then in verse 7, by taking the form of a servant. And verse 8, and being found in human form. So what is this word form? Well, it means uh, mode of existence. The Greek word is morphos, which again has the idea of the nature of a person, but also has the idea of how that nature is expressed. So maybe a simple way to view it is how, what a person is internally and what a person is externally. So, again, we look who is in the form of God. At, at one point, Jesus Christ was in heaven, being worshipped by the angels, and he was in the form of God. He was by nature God. He also was externally God in the sense that he was fully glorified. And then it goes on to say, by taking the form of a servant, in the sense that he served us. And then going on again in verse 8, and being found in human form. So morphous, the mode of existence, internal and external, in the sense that and this is the mystery that we are so uh, blown away by, is that, you know, Jesus Christ lived on this earth. He looked like a normal person. He was inside and outside a man. But at the same time, he was inside and in some ways outside uh, God himself. Now, now he revealed, he, he limited himself in different ways. We'll talk about that in a moment. But, for example, he didn't, you couldn't see his glory. Remember when they were on... Uh, Mount of Transfiguration, James, John, and Peter. And and, and uh, for a moment, Jesus Christ just, in a sense, kind of peeled back his flesh, and they were able just to see a little bit of his glory. Just a little bit. And they were knocked down. Like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, he was revealing uh, his deity and the glory of his deity. Uh, but they only saw... Uh, small picture of that. So, so he, in nature, he was fully God. He was fully man. But externally, one really couldn't see that he was God. You see that he was man, but again, he was fully God and fully man. So it's this, this idea of form that, in a sense, he, he was transformed into a man through the virgin birth, the incarnation. But at the same time, he was fully God. 
Now, this, again, is not easy to understand. We, we look at verse 7. It says, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus Christ became a slave for us. It's bond servant, that word there. By taking the form of a servant, he emptied himself. The, the word there is kenosis, and many of you have studied this probably, the, uh, the idea of what does kenosis mean? What is the fact that he emptied himself? Some people have wrongly, wrongly argued that Jesus Christ emptied himself of all his divine attributes, and that's not the case at all. Jesus Christ, though, did limit, he, he chose to limit the use of his divine attributes while here on earth. And to what degree, we're not really sure. We don't get all the details. We know that he says only the Father knows uh, again when uh, he will return, the second coming. He, he didn't have a knowledge. He did not know at that point on earth from what we read when he was going to return, when Jesus Christ was going to return himself. He didn't have that knowledge, so he was limited in that way. But, again, it's unknown. Again, we don't have enough information to know how much he limited himself in regards to his divine attributes. But that's the idea, is that he emptied himself. I mean, here you have Jesus Christ on the throne in heaven and millions of angels surrounding him, worshiping him 24 hours a day, cherubim and seraphim and just Jesus Christ being revealed in all his glorious deity. And he chose the Father's will to come to this earth and be a baby. Does anybody want to go back to babyhood and start all over again? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I mean, life is unpredictable, right? I think I'll take my life as it is been a good life, not a perfect life. Uh, it's had its challenges, but man, I'm going to heaven. I don't want to go back to babyhood, all right? <laughs> I don't want to have to go through adolescence again and all that kind of stuff, right? But Jesus Christ, the God of all creation, became a baby. Right, uh, Gary and Amy Bone just had a child, Zachary. I, the first time they've been back at church, just before I came up, I was saying hello to them. and Yeah, baby. did that for us. And, and we, we read in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, but, no, or so that you by his poverty, might become rich. This is a passage you just want to really want to meditate upon, you really want to start to think about and let the Holy Spirit lead your thoughts. He was rich, and he became poor. He gave up all his rights in heaven, right? He gave up all his rights in heaven. I'll just read here. It says, he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't feel like he had to hold on to his rights, that he needed to be worshipped. Uh, he couldn't go to earth because he needed to hang on to everything he deserved as God. No, no, he was willing to give up those rights in order to serve us, in order to make a way 
to the Father. He became poor. He became one of us. And again, if any of us experience what it's like to be with the Father in heaven, we'd never want to come back to this place. Because we'd realize how painful a place it is on this earth. And how wonderful it is to be with Jesus. That's why Paul said earlier in the book of Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But, but, but Jesus came to this earth and uh, he grew up. I mean, he submitted himself to that process of growing and learning as a child. And usually in that day, boy became a man, maybe 13 to 15 years old, so again, what we'll learn more about in heaven are those years that he was a, boy, he was a man as a carpenter, 15 to 30, let's say, 15 years of his life he was a carpenter, which was considered a common job in that day, nothing necessarily unique about that job, a lot of carpenters in that day, and he lived 15 years uh, in the village of Galilee, just being a carpenter. Just going to work every day, like you and I. Right? I wonder if he ever hit his thumb. That's a deep theological question. But, uh, with his hammer. Uh, but, I mean, you have the Son of God just doing daily life. And and he was perfect, but the problem was that the other people around him weren't perfect. And as, as we study his life, uh, that's recorded in Scripture. Uh, again, you know, he 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 felt everything that we felt. That's why he's such a wonderful high priest because he's experienced everything. He was tempted on a on a daily basis. He felt fatigue. He felt uh, disappointment, certainly in people. You know, he was betrayed. Uh, people rejected him. People called him names. He went through all that for us. And I, I think one of the interesting things is that here you have God. <laughs> you have God as a carpenter in this little village, right? <laughs> and nobody knows it. I mean, that's how humble he was. And that's how he just let go of his rights for that period of time. I mean, it would just be interesting to know how they perceived him. Well, in a sense, we know I perceived him because when he came back and said, hey, listen, guys, I'm, I'm God, they kicked him out of the village, right? <laughs> so, I mean, even though they might have thought, hey, Jesus, you know, man, I tell you, that guy's unbelievable. I mean, the furniture he makes, perfect. <laughs> but at the same time, it's not like saying, that guy is just so unbelievably good, he must be an angel or something like that. I'm just speculating here, but it's interesting to speculate. I mean, obviously he was perfect in every way, but it wasn't like he was trying to show off in any way. He was God. I mean, he wasn't trying in any way to say, do you know who I am? And, and as I was reflecting and studying upon this, I was thinking, you know, Jesus Christ was homeless during his ministry. He didn't own anything except the clothes on his back. God, the creator of the world, Many times he slept 
the Mount of Olives, uh, just camped out overnight. <laughs> he lived in Peter's home for a while, and he just lived different places. But he didn't have a home that he could call his own. You'd think he'd at least have a base of operation, you know, a place that he'd kind of go back to, summer home, <laughs> a little cottage or something. He didn't have anything. He had to borrow, you know, a donkey to come into Jerusalem. I mean, he didn't have anything. That's how much he humbled himself. Now, you think about his death. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Second Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Death on a cross. I mean, you think about Holy Week, you think about uh, the trials, the illegal trials. I mean, I know I would have. <laughs> you know, in the midst of these trials that were legal and all these false accusations, I, I would have said, hey, do you know who I am? I am God. Or when they're flogging him, they're tearing his flesh away on his back. You think he would have stop there in a moment of pain and say, do you know who I am? And when he hung on that cross, they continued to mock him. They continued just to deride him. And we know he, at any moment, any moment in life, especially at that moment, he could have called a multitude of angels to save him. But he never said, do you know who I am? He never clung on to his rights. He never said, you should treat me this way because of who I am. First Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Think about a relationship you're dealing with right now where there's conflict, there's hurt. And again, obviously, people have hurt you. You've hurt them. Relationships are very complicated. You never want to let a person abuse you in any way. Uh, but at the same time, when you look at a conflicted relationship, the, qu the first question you need to ask yourself is about you. You've got to ask yourself, okay, where is the pride here? Is there pride here in my heart that's adding uh, to the chaos of this relationship? Am I saying, hey, I have these rights and you have to meet uh, my demands. You have to treat me in a certain way. You have to serve me in a certain way. And then we need to reflect upon how humble Christ was how he gave it all up for us. And then we need to realize that through the power of the Spirit, we can have that same attitude, that same attitude of humility. 
Well, that's the first half of the hymn. The second half is his exaltation. We go on and it says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So as we look at the exaltation of Christ, and again, here we see this truth over and over in Scripture, that if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. And again, we get it so confused, we think, no, I'm not going to wait till God exalts me in my job. I'm not going to wait till God exalts me in my relationships or exalts me and stuff I have or whatever, I'm going to make it happen myself. No, no, no. First of all, you say, God, I'm yours. I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to follow your timetable, your plan, even though I don't understand it. And when you desire, you're going to exalt me. That's just a promise that we see in Scripture. What that exaltation looks like, we have no idea. But we know that God's going to treat us right, right? We believe in his promises. We believe uh, that he speaks truth. So Christ humbles himself, and then God exalts him. God exalts him through the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, when Jesus Christ comes back to life, through the power of God. What an unbelievable moment that was. And then when he ascends into heaven, and he gives the, the great commission, and, and the disciples see him rise into heaven. Now, uh, can you imagine what it must have been like when Jesus came back to heaven? Can you imagine the party that ensued after Jesus Christ had gone to earth and humbled himself and become a slave and died on a cross and now he's coming back. He's coming back to the throne room. Can you imagine how the angels responded? Can you imagine how the Father and the Spirit responded when, in a sense, Jesus was restored to his rightful place? He was given all of his rights. He was given all the glory. He was, again, fully revealed as he had been in ages past, eternity past, all his glory was seen. What a day that must have been, right? When he returned as a glorious conqueror over sin. Sin had been destroyed. Satan had been destroyed. <laughs> wow. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. That word in the Greek is hyper hyper-exaltation, super-exaltation. You can't get higher than this height. And bestowed, it's the idea of giving gifts, giving gifts on him. And what did he give him? He gave him the name that is above every name. Now, what name is he talking about? So that at the name of Jesus, well, I mean, he already had that name, didn't he? Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God 
the Father. What special name did God give Jesus? Well, He gave Him the name Lord. Lord. As we look at the word Lord, it really is a, the word Yahweh. When the Hebrew writers translated the word Yahweh, I mean, they wouldn't even write the word. It was so holy. But it was Yahweh. So they used the word Lord in the Old Testament. And uh, also in the New Testament, when it was translated, it was Yahweh. Now, it's not like, I mean, Jesus Christ has always been equal. He's always been fully God. This really is more like an acknowledgement of who he already is. It's not like, oh, Jesus, you're better than you were before. <laughs> Jesus can't get any better. The Holy Spirit can't get any better. God can't get any better. But it's more of a public acknowledgement of what Jesus Christ had done in the conquering of sin and death. So God says, you are Lord, you are Yahweh, you are God, you are deity, you are ruler, you are sovereign. So he bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, we look at... Uh, Isaiah 42, 8, God says, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Again, the same word. And now, in a way of publicly acknowledging Christ after his humility on earth, bringing us salvation. He says, I want to remind everyone that you are Yahweh, that you are Lord, that you are sovereign, that you are the ruler. Now we look uh, at another part of this exaltation. We have the resurrection, we have the ascension, and then we have the, the seating of Christ next to God. Mark 16, 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And the right hand in, in ancient times, the right hand of a king was the, the position of power and authority. And so by this statement, God is saying, more than you're right, you're my right hand man. But again, you are worthy of all glory. Uh, in Ephesians 1, verse 20, it unpacks us even further so that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, the power of the resurrection, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. These verses are so important for us to think about. These verses are so important for us to listen to the Spirit about because, again, there is a tendency within evangelicalism to kind of get a little chummy with Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is my friend. You know, he's all... And, again, to a certain degree, that's okay. But sometimes uh, we, 
we focus too much on his imminence, that's the idea of he's with us right now, to his transcendence, that he's way, way different from us, that he is God himself. And, and I think it's very healthy. It, imminence is great. Yeah, feel God, Jesus' love and comfort and all that kind of good stuff. But you've got to remember he's transcendent. That he's sitting on the throne, that he's all powerful. He has a name above every name, as it says here in Ephesians, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. There's no one like this. This is our God. And we need to remember that he's our God. And when we're whining and we're complaining about life, it's good just to take a moment to realize that our God is on the throne. And even though our life might seem overwhelming, He loves us. He's in control. And someday we're going to go live with Him. You see what I'm talking about? When you hear it on the news that everything's falling apart, the society is going down the toilet. It's to remember that we have an unbelievable, awesome, all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign God who, who's on the throne. And let's let, amen, yes. The transcendence of, of our mighty God we need to remember. And then we need to remember something else. We go back to verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God receives great glory and pleasure from His Son being glorified. And friends, what this is talking about, I believe, is when Jesus Christ returns at the second coming. And every knee is going to bow in heaven. There's going to be a glorious event that's going to take place, I believe, at a point in time, just like right now, that's a point in time. At a point in time when Jesus Christ returns, everyone in heaven, every angel, every redeemed person, Old Testament, New Testament, to this point, their knee is going to bow. Then under the earth, every demon, you know, there's a lot of demons that are locked up right now. Thank the Lord, right? <laughs> they're not all on the loose. Okay, they're, locked, they're locked down in the abyss. Remember when they were going to send the pigs over? Jesus Christ was going to send the pigs uh, with the demons over the edge. Don't send us to the abyss. Don't lock us up, right? They're down there along with everybody else who's rejected Jesus Christ. And at this point in time, their knee is going to bow. And the people who are left on the earth that day, every tongue, I, I don't believe that's talking about a physical tongue, the word is glossa, which means uh, every language, people of every language around the world are going to bow. Everyone on this globe is going to be bowing down to Jesus Christ. And the question is, will they be bowing down in love and honor, or will they be bowing down in hate? 
Now, take a moment to think about your family. Take a moment to think about your neighbors. Take a moment to think about your friends who don't know Jesus. And you've got to ask yourself a question. On that day, it's coming. A day is coming. Will they be bowing down in love and worship? Or will they be bowing down in hate or in like, oh, I didn't know this was going to happen. I, I didn't really know who Jesus was. or I, reject, I don't know. But they're, they're not on the right team. I don't know about you, but that, that just stirs my heart for evangelism, saying, Lord, it's all up to you, but you've asked me to get out there and, and to communicate to the people I love, to communicate to the people that I, I you know, interact with, and uh, tell them the gospel. Tell them there is salvation in Jesus Christ, and if you don't, if you don't make the right decision about Jesus before you die, someday you will bow down. But you'll be on the wrong side of eternity. You need to pray. You need to pray, pray, pray. Pray for those who are lost. And love them, love them, love them. Jesus. Now, let's go back to James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He exalt you. We're going to have a time of prayer right now. We have our prayer team come forward. And, and before we start here, I just want you to bow your heads right now. And I want you to ask yourself a couple questions. The first question is, am I trying to exalt myself? Am I trying to accomplish things for myself that I really am not telling God about? Not seeking his will, but kind of my will. I want to build this business. I want to, you know, accomplish this particular achievement. I want to live here, whatever it might be. You know, am I trying to do my own thing, exalt myself without, you know, being solely committed to God, walking with Him, and submission, and saying, Lord, is this what you want? What? Have you asked yourself a question about the thing? The one thing that you really are pursuing, have you really talked to God about and said, God, is this what I should be pursuing? Am I exalting myself here? <laughs> Another question to ask yourself, are you holding on to your rights in some relationship, in some group? Are you fighting for your rights and you're angry and you're consumed and you're saying, this is not right. I shouldn't be treated in this way. And Maybe that's true. But have you taken that to God? Have you processed that with Him and said, Do I have a right attitude here, Lord? I mean, am I responding in the right way? And uh, another question you should ask yourself, and I should ask myself, yeah, am, I, am I really seeking to be humble? When I read this passage about Jesus and how He gave every, every, how, how do I see that in my everyday life about how I, I give everything up for Jesus? How I give everything up for other people. 
in a moment. Uh, I want you to continue in prayer and reflect upon these questions I've asked you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit encourage you. You know, if things are good and that you're walking with Him. Uh, but if the Lord convicts you of sin, own that. Deal with that. And, and we're, we're going to ask you to come forward uh, here uh, for prayer. And that's really a sign of humility as well. When you come up here for prayer, you're just telling everybody, I can't do life uh, without Jesus. That's all you're saying. I, I can't do life without Jesus. I, I can't do it on my own. That's all you're saying. When you come forward, you're saying, hey, I got something I can't handle on my own. Which, of course, is pretty much everything. <laughs> I really would encourage you to come forward with some prayer and encouragement. Continue to think about those questions, and let's continue to think about uh, coming forward and receiving some encouragement.
Heavenly Father, I pray you continue to work in our hearts. I, I pray for my friends here who are struggling. You've spoken to them this morning. Your spirit has uh, really got a hold of them. I pray they go home today time in a daily office, this process of through writing, journaling, listening to you, reflecting on this past, and just thinking about the relationship that they need to talk to somebody about it, but I pray that they would seek someone out that they trust. And I'm really struggling with this. I'm trying to get this straight in my head. Life is so confused and at times. of the day of Jesus Christ. If you're frustrated this morning, meditate on that verse. 